In Christ Jesus, dear fellow redeemed, God's grace is ours through Maundy Thursday. What does that word mean, Maundy Thursday? I remember when I was a little kid, I always thought it was Monday Thursday. In fact, uh, that's the way my spell checker always tries to correct it even today. But actually, it's M-A-U-N-D-Y Thursday, and Maundy comes from a, a Latin word mandate or mandata, which means to command. And somewhere way back in church history, the church said, we're going to call Thursday before Good Friday the command Thursday because Jesus commanded two things on that evening. They are beautiful gospel commands. The first one is, Jesus said, I am giving you this Lord's Supper, my body and my blood for the forgiveness of your sins. And he says, I want you to do this. There's the command. Do this in remembrance of me. I want you to know and be secure that my love is constant and it keeps coming to you through this sacred act, this sacrament, and you do this in remembrance of me. That's why historically on Maundy Thursday, we're always going to have the Lord's Supper and when we gather together. And it's, a, it's a, an awesome moment because on the very night we're remembering before Good Friday that Jesus willingly went to the cross and gave us the Lord's Supper on that very night we get to celebrate it together. When we take the Lord's Supper, we're also all taking the same body and the same blood. And the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians that we become one in him and we're united in faith and united in Christ and united in his grace and forgiveness. But on that night, the other thing that Jesus commanded is found in John's gospel. And that is the command to love one another in fact, John wrote his gospel, remember there's four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He wrote his gospel much later than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They wrote around the 50s or 60s AD. He wrote around 85 AD. So some 50 years, with a, add a few, 50 plus years after Christ died for us, 50 plus years after Christ instituted the Lord's Supper, John, as an old man, writes about Maundy Thursday, when he writes the story of Christ's life from John 1 to John 21. John actually writes five chapters about Jesus being with his disciples alone that night, five chapters, and leaves out the Lord's Supper. Instead, he talks about that command to love one another, and 31 times talks about how Jesus talked that night about love. This is one of the reasons that John has been given the nickname the Apostle of Love, he also called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. But what John, looking back and inspired by the Lord to see it, what John saw was that night Jesus was teaching us that the love of God and the love of God working in our lives, in our relationships, in our hearts, and through us in the world is the big thing that God was doing on planet earth when he sent Jesus to save us. John's the one that records John 3.16, where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and said, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And so in, in that night before he died, Jesus talked about love 31 times, mentions the word. And what he did that night was wash his disciples' feet. And we're going to be looking at John chapter 13. I, I want to show you something here. This is a, a, a bronze ornament that a friend of mine gave me. His name is Lang Spence, and he, he gave this to me shortly after he built this church as the contractor. 
And he, had, he made this. He, he's an artist. And it's a, it's a basin with a towel draped over it. And it's to remind anybody who sees it about Jesus washing our feet and telling us to do the same for others. That is the story we're going to look at tonight. And um, we're going to learn from it about the secret uh, to joy and the secret to true happiness. And we're going to learn that on that night, Jesus was giving us the secret to our purpose as Christians, and we never have to wonder what our purpose is. And so I want to go to that, that Bible reading at this time and, and get started. It's in John chapter 13, and it begins at verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. There's love mentioned twice. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things in his hands, and he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. John wrote 50 plus years later after this event. And when he recorded five chapters from that night, he adds this story that the other three gospel writers didn't include. John, John wanted us to know what he did that night, what Jesus did that night, and why. It's one of the key stories in John's presentation of the gospel of Jesus. It weighed heavy on his heart. If you look at the very first few verses, he says, he knew his hour had come to leave the world and go to the Father. And then he says it this way. This is his observation, John's observation. He loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. This is what was rolling around and around and around in John's head. Jesus knew he was going to die the next day. He knew he was going to be arrested in a matter of hours. He knew the torture and the rejection of God the Father he was going to go through. He knew that his hour had come. And yet, even with the distraction of his own demise on earth, he loved us to the end. There wasn't one moment at the worst or most difficult time in Jesus' life that he didn't 100% love God the Father and people. And he loved us to the end. That blew John's mind. And he wanted it to blow our mind too. And he says, and look at how he loved us there. He washed our feet. Having your feet washed at, as a guest in somebody's home was not... Um, odd or rare. It was a daily thing, especially if you were at a special meal like a Passover meal. You might remember that Peter and John were told by Jesus, go into the city. You'll see a guy with a, 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 a jar of water on his head and go tell him the Lord wants to have Passover with his disciples at your house and he will show you to an upper room. Peter and John saw the man. They went and told him the man miraculously said, yes, come to my house. And they set everything up. 
Water was not something you got out of a spigot in your every bathroom and the kitchen of your house. You had to go fetch it. And it was heavy, big pot on his head. And so they took water and they had a basin ready for people to wash feet. And they had water also for the Passover meal because it's part of the Passover meal to pass a glass of water, a chalice of water. And they made sure water was there. They knew that washing feet as coming as guests into another man's house would be expected. So did the other apostles. Uh, they were walking two miles from Bethany. That's where they came from. And they wore sandals. And their feet got dirty. And it was a, a, a very nice, a wonderful gesture to make sure you complied with having your feet washed so that you kept the house clean. They knew nothing about germs, but they knew about dirt. There was no, they were borrowing the room. There was no servant in the house to wash feet. So they would, they would wonder, who's going to wash the feet? And they, set, they usually set the basin by the door. They probably all saw it. Um, we do something like that today. Some people have a sign at their house, say, please take your shoes off before you come in. Uh, some people just naturally will take their shoes off before they walk in your house. Sometimes your spouse will ask you to take your shoes off before you come in. But you can't take your feet off. <laughs> and they wore sandals and their feet were dirty, so they, they washed them. And they looked and they saw that basin. It's a, it's not a, it's a thankless job to wash feet. And so they all hoped somebody else would figure out a way to do it. Jesus loved his own to the end. And he wanted to show them the extent of his love. That he was no, they were not and he was not too big or too important or too self-absorbed to love people by washing their feet. And so he got himself up, took his outer garment off, girded up his, his, his clothes because he was going to be kneeling down and getting up. And he had a towel there, and he washed their feet. There's nobody so important that they would not have to wash feet. But Jesus, you could say, was important enough not to have to do it. He was loving them to the end, and he loves us to the end also. And that's what John wanted us to, to hear, first of all, that he loves us. His whole life was a life of perfection and service. It's interesting also that none of them jumped up to help him because you would think that they also would, would, would want to do that. Maybe they were a little bit nervous because, after all, this is the Lord, and oftentimes they'd held back because they didn't know quite what he was up to. But maybe they were also just not, not thinking selflessly, and they were glad he took care of it. We're glad he took care of it too because it's part of his righteousness that he gives us when we put our faith in him. But then he comes to Peter. And Peter speaks up like Peter so often does, probably without giving it enough thought. Let's see what happened. Verse 6, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, 
not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said, not everyone was clean. This is great. This is where that everyday life and personalities clashes with the infinite and the, the, um, the, that which is beyond humans. Jesus is the God himself washing feet and Peter is just being Peter. Remember when Jesus said he was going to go to Jerusalem and die and Peter tried to argue with him and Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Peter's in that same frame of mind. You are the Lord of Lords. You should never wash my feet. We should be washing your feet. And he's saying the obvious and that others are probably feeling that. Maybe he's saying it also to say, at least I've got the thought, but you should not be washing my feet. And Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. On the one hand, you just want to say to Peter, could you just, you're really making a distraction here. But on the other hand, Peter gave Jesus an opportunity to start speaking about salvation again. I mean, the idea that he's come to save us and love us that way is, is like an orchestra in Jesus' head. And all of the different instruments are going off. And so Jesus is saying, if you don't let me wash you, you have no part with me, has a double meaning. One is, if you don't learn to listen, just like when the father said to Peter at the Mount of Transfiguration, this is my son, listen to him. If you don't learn to listen, you're not going to be a part of me. You've got to let me wash you. I'm going to do this, and you're going to let me teach tonight. But secondly, it's much deeper. He says, if you don't let me wash you of your sins, you have no part with me. See, a relationship with Jesus Christ is not based upon our work or our washing anything. And a lot of people feel like they've got to wash themselves spiritually before they start going to church. And if you know someone like that who wouldn't dare turn on the, the, uh, this online service because they're thinking, I, I'm not one of those people. I'd have to clean my life up quite a bit before I came and heard about God and Jesus. Well, you need to share this service with them because this is Jesus saying, I wash you. You don't wash yourself and then come see me. You can't get yourself clean enough. You have to let me wash you or you have no part with me. Peter kind of sounds like the woman at the well who says, well, if you've got water that's living, why don't you go get it so I never have to come here to draw? Peter kind of knows Jesus is moving into the spiritual and he says, well, just wash my whole body then. I'll make a statement of faith. This is kind of like Peter back when saying, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. I'll say it. He goes, wash my whole person. And now he's still trying to teach. And Jesus goes, shh, shh, shh. I'm washing your feet. You don't, you've already taken a, a bath today. You don't need your whole body clean. You're trying to run this whole moment and let me run the moment. Your feet only need to be clean. This is like when a, a little kid takes a shower, puts his jammies on, and then he runs out into the yard and he gets some mud on his feet. He comes back in and goes, Mommy, do I have to take a bath? She goes, No, just stand in the bathtub and wash your feet. Jesus is just saying to Peter, You, you just need to wash your feet. You're already clean. But then he goes to the spiritual. But not all of you. 
Because Judas is in the room and Jesus is reaching for Judas. Somewhere around this time, he gave the Lord's Supper and that's when he marked him by giving him the honored, dip the bread in the herbs and give it to to uh, the, his honored guest, which was Judas, and marked him. He's calling Judas to repentance. Not all of you. This one of you is going to betray me. And he wants Judas, he wants Judas to come out and get what he needs, which is forgiveness for the sin he would confess, but he never did. See how he loved his own to the end? He loves Peter by patiently, kindly working him through this as Peter's spouting off. At the same time, he works on Judas and he works on us. And he says, I want to make you clean. You have no part with me unless you let me wash you. And we say, Jesus, wash us. Wash us. He still has a lesson, though, how washing us with salvation has to do with teaching us the meaning and purpose of having a valuable life and having a happy life and a fulfilling life. So he's got more to teach. So let's let Jesus teach us that more. He wants to make sure they all get the point of this, this uh, object lesson. So when I'm in verse uh, 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. That outer garment, put it back on. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. And here's a neat point. He's not going to wait for them to try to guess. He's going to make sure they understand. You call me teacher and Lord. Two designations that would mean if any group came into a house and there needed to be foot washing, the teacher and the Lord should not be the guy washing feet. You, from your heart, honor and revere me as your teacher and your Lord. And rightly so, for that is what I am. Now, that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you. Uh, some preachers will say, now listen to this. That's Jesus. Very truly, I tell you. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is kind of like the whole event that John records in these, these 8, 17 verses going full circle. At the very beginning in the first two or three verses, he says, I, when I look back at this, I'm going to tell you, the Lord has shown me. He loved us to the end. Jesus, when he was washing their feet, Jesus was feeling the wind of the Spirit and the respect and love of the Father, that he was willingly going to love people perfectly and the ones in his closest circle, he was going to love them by washing their feet perfectly with a perfect attitude, even though it was his last 24 hours. He loved them to the end. But he's, he's feeling it. He's happy in the spiritual sense. He's got true joy. Because he's serving the Father's purpose from a full 100% commitment.
committed heart. He came to serve. On this little ornament that you see here, there's a little plaque on the front. It comes from Mark's gospel. And this is what it says. It's from chapter 10. It says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served. He spoke that when they were having an argument over who was the greatest. (laughs) They had an argument a few weeks before this, but they also had an argument, Luke tells us, that night, somewhere around in that upper room. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served. You look at you look you hear me say that, and it kind of blows your mind that these guys in the in the midst of Jesus washing feet and being their Lord and teacher and teaching them about true humble service and the meaning of life, and that's where his joy was, that they're arguing over who's the greatest. How could they do that? Because it's it is insidious in our hearts. You and I sit here and we listen to this, we read this. And we know it, but we somehow with some person feel like they should wash my feet. They should be grateful for what I do. They should want to let me rest and then they get up and serve. It's it's time for a little recognition. Everybody has it to some degree in some realm because it's deeply rooted in our hearts. And it drives us to unhappiness. It steals our joy. Think of this illustration. You pick up your cell phone and you want to take a video out in front of you, but you, there's a way to flip the screen because there's a little camera on this side, right? You can do a selfie. And so you, you push down there, boom, and you see the camera flip. And now you're big in the cell phone face. Well, that's what happens in everybody's heart back and forth and back and forth, every five seconds. We're looking at others, and then we flip and we look at ourselves. We look at others and we look at ourselves, and often we're asking, are they really serving me? Am I be getting what I need and want? And we can talk ourselves into being unhappy. There was a guy named Helmut Tielicke. He was a Lutheran pastor and then later professor. And he lived, he was a German, and he lived as part of the German people during World War II. It's really easy growing up after World War II as an American and to think that all of the German people were part of the, the dominant bad guys. But actually, much of the populace of Germany, especially pastors and Christian leaders, they suffered as their country was bombed by the Allied forces because in war there are no winners. Everybody suffers. And so there were many people that suffered as Germans. Helmut Tielicke was a pastor. And this is what he noticed. In a book called The Trouble with the Church, this is what he noticed. He said, what's very interesting to me is that I know people who living side by side came through World War II. And they suffered the same things. But this one was very bitter And this one had grown and become very spiritually mature and peaceful and filled with love. And he said, what's the difference? Because it's not a difference in their situation. It's a difference in their perspective. This one that was bitter didn't learn. Instead, they closed their heart off to God and they lived only looking at themselves and what they needed or wanted 
and what they didn't get. But this one kept looking at God and his call to love others, and they grew through it all by the grace of God. And their circumstances did work together with the word of God to change them. Well, we're going through something right now. I would say, dare say for most of us, it's not near as bad as that. But it's something, a pandemic. It will not by itself change anyone. It will not make a, a happy person out of a sad or a sad person out of a happy. What does it is what Jesus said in verse 17. What Jesus said in verse 17 was this. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You know what the word blessed means? When we hear the word blessed, this is what we think. God is saying that I will bless you if you do that good deed and you will have my blessing. But actually, it's more experiential than that. What he's saying is if you will not just look at what I'm doing, not just listen with your ears, but trusting me, you will actually focus as much as you can on serving God and others and not giving a thought to yourself and not trying to figure out if you're called teacher or Lord or should be served, not as a wife, a husband, a child, a parent. If you will give up all of that entitlement, you will be happy. The word blessed in its original form is much fuller than that church word that I was describing. It's the happy, joyous, fulfilling life. That's what he's talking about. When you serve God and you serve people, you sense his pleasure. You sense it because you have it. You know you're consistent with the word of God. You know you're consistent with your Savior. And you know your Savior who did it to the end sees what you're doing and you're partners with him. So you want to be happy and sheltered at home? Look at that person or those people that are sheltered with you. Or the ones that you can reach by your phone or your computer. Or the people in your neighborhood. Find a way to serve. Find a way to wash feet. Find a way to give. You want to you just get out of your house and self-indulge? You won't be so happy. It won't do it just to run or walk or exercise for yourself. Please do that because there are endorphins and it is healthy. But it will not by itself help you find the joy and happiness until you're serving other people. Jesus said, if you do this, you will be blessed if you do it. Maundy Thursday meant the world to Jesus because he pulled out all the stops and he served. He washed feet when he was going to die the next day. And he also gave a sticky object lesson that we can't get out of our heads, that people make ornaments in order to commemorate. And all you have to say is wash feet and you think about the story of Jesus doing that. And then you think about him. And then you think how he's washed you. And then you think about how wonderful and loving that is. And then you just want to love other people the same way. Hey, when it's command Thursday, it's not really a command at all when you have Jesus in the middle, is it? It's really an invitation. 
for the Christian life filled with the Christ. May God grant that to you so you can have that joy to be free of yourself and full of your Savior. Amen.